Straightjack, episode 18. Each week or every other week, we review three films, uh, all combined with a theme. The first film is a new release, then you've got a post-2000 release, and then a pre-2000 release. And the new release was... I, Daniel Blake. And the theme was... Palm Door Winners. Mmm, interesting. So I, Daniel Blake, is about a gentleman called Daniel Blake. (laughs) So Daniel's been signed off work. Daniel. Me and Dan, we're, we're close. <laughs> He's been signed off work because of uh, heart issues. Unfortunately, the government have decided he n- is no longer legible for the benefits he had been receiving, so he needs to either sign on or get a job. But his doctor's telling him he can't get a job, so he goes through the rigmarole of trying to sign on to the dole, all the while battling his inner conscience that he, he feels like he wants to go back to work because being off work is driving him a bit, bit up the wall. He meets... A lovely lady who's also going through a very similar benefit process called Katie, who has two children. And it, the film just kind of follows them going through this this process and signing a lot of forms, form after form. And the or links, not in some cases. Or not, exactly. And the links you have to go to in order to, to get what you are entitled to. It does feel like a cinematic instructional video of how not to sign on at times. <laughs> I mean, the, the credits do a superb job of setting yeah, this absolutely. up. And those questions, I think uh, we've all been in similar experiences where we're just trying to get across to whoever it's on the phone. Look, this is the basic information you need from me. Let's just move on. But it does set the tone quite well. It's perfect. It just shows how difficult the next two hours are going to be for Daniel. (laughs) It just paints that picture of just what what a silly, stupid process it seems to us. Uh, And I suppose through the conduit of... Of, of Daniel, this idea of, oh, this is going to be such a horrible process for me to go through. And then he does what we all do when he's annoyed by something. You make those silly little sarky jokes, yeah. <laughs> which, which he does probably two or three times in that, that opening, well, when the screen is still black and you're just hearing the dialogue between them and he makes those silly little jokes that everyone always does as a bit of a defence mechanism when they're annoyed. They make a little sarky joke. And, and I when he was saying them, I couldn't help but feel, hey, no, I would have made exactly the same joke. It was a good start. It was humorous, right? Mm. But, that, but, that, but that did not. The laughs didn't last long in this one, as as they don't usually with Ken Loach. I mean, yeah, more like I Daniel Bleak. You know what I'm saying? Oh, that is great, quick, <laughs> superb. It was this. I mean, this was my first Ken Loach film. Did uh, unfortunately, did no, I agree. Well, uh, I agree. Sorry, I mean, I'm, I, I'm I've in the same. I've seen. Uh, I've seen the end of Kez, but I've been told that this is. It follows a very similar theme. I've only seen a couple. Kez, obviously, being oh, correction. The... I've seen Wind That Shakes the Barley. Oh, okay. Just correcting it for the viewers because they've probably seen my letterbox profile. Mm. And um, I don't want to call you a liar. JR Hunt Forty. Liar coming through um, the letterbox. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, you should see the comment section of my letterbox. It's <laughs> going to blow up. It is very much though familiar territory, and I don't know about you guys, but don't know if being from this country has done it. But going into this, I was already pretty fed up of this. British kitchen sink, Mike Lee, neorealism—they're calling it—sort uh, of drama. And I think for the first thirty minutes, I was like, you know what? It is familiar, but it's done well. I'm in. I'm totally in. There's a butt coming. But then, yeah, it did for for me fall into the same sort of traps as all of these things. And but uh, I don't know if it's it is down to the amateur acting, but immediately I just feel like. If I wanted to stare at a council estate and think about all of life's problems, I could I could go and do that quite easily. It's much more fun and far more enjoyable to go to the cinema and to 
see something fantastic or something that you wouldn't always see. You're, you're right, but I think that's why it was such a good, good thing that I went to go and see it because I've just been so lucky throughout life that I was completely oblivious to this. Mm-hmm. And I think it, it's it's a very important piece of cinema or just our history or what's going on right now in the way that there are times when I was laughing because I thought of the ridiculousness of the situation and then it, like three seconds later realised, oh no, wait, this this is accurate. This is probably what happens. Probably. I mean, I don't know for a fact because I haven't lived it, but it, it it felt real enough to me. I think towards the end it got a, maybe a little bit silly, mm. like they were really trying to drive the point home. But for the most part, I was sold on how accurately this this felt. I, I just want to say as well, I wholeheartedly believe that this film should have been made. I believe it is an important film because I don't doubt for one second that there are people going through, at least to an extent, have gone through mm-hmm. or at least certain yeah, sections, yeah. Are very much a reality for a lot of people. I do think it's important, but if we're looking at it strictly from a, it's not a government film, if we're looking at it as from a cinematic point of view, how do you think it succeeds as a film? It's a good point because I suppose now separate, that I think about it, separating message, intent, yeah, it, it, propaganda, morality you could argue from that it is, it is trying. But it's a good point because I think Paul Lafferty, who's the um, the screenwriter, was a former human rights lawyer before he became a screenwriter. So I think he he certainly used that in the in the marketing and in in some of the, his the conversations and interviews he's had that saying, well, it is authentic because I've lived it. I've protected people who have been up against this kind of system, and I think that's the thing that for me. I, until you've just mentioned it there, I don't think I tried to separate myself between the art of what a film is trying to achieve and perhaps the message it was going for because I think I fall firmly in in, uh, in Robbie's camp that I've always been lucky enough that I've never had to understand or, or, or sympathise, well, sympathise, but not empathise with someone like Daniel. But is that, is that, the, is that the trap of this? But is it you're, you're down the trap door from the get-go and you're, you're in yeah. and then you, you can't see beyond oh my goodness, their lives are, are terrible, I feel terrible for them. But were you then caught by the, the hook of... Oh Yeah, I was definitely seduced by it. I, I think I fell straight into that. If we're calling it a trap or a trick, whatever, I I definitely was... I had bypassed any feeling of objectivity with this film, and I was completely in. A term I did, I can't claim this myself, but I'm going to use the, uh, the term emotionally manipulating. Mm-hmm. That was, for me, there were a couple of scenes... I think was the first one that I think worked incredibly well. The food bank yeah. scene, which yeah. for anyone that's seen it, it Baked was beans. probably the most stark. It was the most powerful scene yeah, in it, the film. It, what, it, that I thought for the first one, the first move, very, very strong. I mean, it made me think of the pianist. It made me think of the guy knocking the food out of the woman's hand. Mm. They've, they're in the ghetto. It's the last bit of food. And he's then on the floor eating it up as she hits him with the hat. It does immediately make you think it does provoke a reaction, right? Yeah, oh, for sure. And I think that's probably where I started to... I mean, I really couldn't get over the... I don't know if we'll all agree with this, the bad acting for quite some time. Who... See, who from? I I thought Katie was brilliant throughout. She was absolutely stunning. But I just thought that everyone else was terrible, including Daniel. Yeah, Yeah. I I think Daniel was... To be fair, I thought he held his own and then there were... The issue was there weren't particularly any good scenes where he thought that's outstanding bit of acting, but there were some bad scenes where he thought yeah. that's noticeably bad. And he is a standout comedian, so we're not necessarily expecting him to be knocking this absolutely out of the park. And he had a there was a touch of humility about his performance, which I think is what you needed. You needed a character or an actor that can embody a character that makes you think, 
I can get on board with him. And Common man. Yeah, the com- uh, yeah, perfect. That's could have summed it up in two words. Yeah, <laughs> just yeah. But 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 that food bank scene was the first time I I really fell for the film. Yeah. So it's so invested in every character. Maybe more so in Katie's story than Daniel's, which was quite weird considering she was a side character. It's quite minimal. We didn't know that much about her. You just kind of see single parent, two kids moved away from mm. her home, and you immediately then start racing and start thinking about how difficult her life must have been mm. but maybe less is more yeah. in this situation but but that yeah that scene or even if this is a rare occurrence even if this is happening to the most minimal amount of people in the UK it's still so unacceptable and it made me quite quite enraged and at points found myself just turning away from the screen but that's what and which is great because surely that is what he's going for he's oh. Because something, yeah, I'd say that this film is—it's not lacking. It, sorry, it's obviously is lacking nuance, subtlety. It's just—it's—it's—it yeah. is abrasive. It's there in all its glory. There's barely any non-digestive music. There's nothing to sort of ki- kind of title together nicely. It's scene, character, but and then it just start getting these images and these characters alive to start to pile and pile and the worries. And before you know it, you probably are sort of turning away and he's having this reaction you mentioned the music was there any music in it at all apart from the final scene there was I think after a couple of pivotal scenes it felt like a drone there was a little bit of a sort of (laughs) maybe it was just coming from the screen next door right but no I could definitely feel like a sort of a little bit of atmosphere as it sort of faded to black after a couple of scenes okay but there was nothing by way of enhance the uncertainty and the only other sort of main thing which is why because don't get me wrong I did enjoy this film I did I do appreciate what Ken Loach does, but I believe that as a knock-on result of Kez, he's got imitators who have done taken what he's done and done it and added an extra element to that. And that, those the two sort of main ones would be the Dardenne brothers and Andrea Arnold, who have managed to get this social slice, this social commentary, this neorealism, but layer in some sort of, sometimes audio, but mainly sort of visually poetic it's Loach meets Malik and you've got what Arnold and the Dardens sort of do. They use music. They have these cut away and see some of the, the surroundings, the nature, but they also have Fish Tank, Kid with a Bike films that marry both cinema and the social realism. They're entertainment, they're arty, but they also make a point. And obviously they're way more recent. We're talking Dardens, 90s, predominantly, and noughties, and then noughties again for Arnold. But I think he's been beaten at his own game. I, I mean, to be honest, what you just said, however intelligent it sounded, has <laughs> gone way above my head because I've heard of the Dardens, but I'm pretty sure it's a territory in Germany, as, uh, in France as well. So I'm not that sort of went above me as well. Andrea Arnold heard of many, many good things, but only ever seen a couple of episodes of Transparent that she directed and never seen oh, anything no. that's um, <laughs> that more sophisticated than that, which I know it's like terrible, blasphemous thing to say. But no. I think, but for Ken Loach, yeah, as I say, Win the Shakes of Bali, which I saw a long, long time ago, so I can't even associate myself with being a uh, a Ken Loach connoisseur. I, I, I can't really pick up hit the trends and I can't comment other than what other people say and what uh, critics say that, you know, oh, it's a, it's a typical Ken Loach film. For me, I, sort of, I, that goes way over my, above my head. So I suppose I could only judge this film as a standalone project that I couldn't think of any context behind his motives behind it. But, but I agree. I mean, it, it's certainly... It's not very subtle, and it's it's very sort of the state are, are certainly sort of villain by numbers, where they're all terrible people, and they're all deliberately sort of got this 
bureaucratic immunity where they're making sure that the system and the state is protected away from all these terrible people yeah. uh, by this horrible sort of catch-22 situation where... <laughs> and they're thriving of, on that. Yeah, almost. exactly. <laughs> and, and it's just their a, life amazing how, how they it's sort of systematic to, to, to prevent people like Daniel and people like uh, Katie from sort of succeeding or ever getting out ever getting out of this spiral they find themselves in and I think for me there's this one really I mean we've already talked about that scene um, you know the food bank scene bait bean scene whatever you want to call it but there's this scene I don't think it's too much of a spoiler but you know he he's obviously been been signed off sick and but but as part of trying to get this allowance he has to go around and try and find a job or at least show that he's trying to find a job and he goes and goes around the houses can't really find one then some guy finally gives him an opportunity and he says oh, well, well no actually I, I'm not able to work I can't work but I had to ask you I had to ask you for a job to to claim and, and, and have some justification for getting benefits and the guy on the other end of the phone saying well hold on I've, I put my neck out for you I did a lot of work to try and get you this interview and now you're saying all you want to do is claim benefits you, you're just a leech you know this is why are you doing that and I realised bam that is exactly what society and what I've always thought of those people claiming benefits that they are this this sort of leech that's basically trying to suck the blood something out of, for nothing yeah, and you don't get to see the human behind it I only get to see what the media presents them as because, as I say, I'm lucky enough that I've never had to be in their kind of situation. Whereas this film completely opened my eyes to the struggle and the plight that they have on a day-to-day basis, something that I'd never come across before. And that is absolutely what hit me. That's and so the, I, I absolutely took it. I had the hook, line and sinker. I was sold in this film. For me, that was the most powerful scene. Mm. And it was just one guy on a, on a phone for less than a minute. It was just... It was the way that the current system, and there's a lot of reference to sort of current technology and how, like you're saying about the state earlier, like this system has been built almost to try and, and that is something they discussed to put them off, you know, Mm. it's less money we have to give out. But that's it, and it's sort of what he's been, even though he's the old guard, through the current system, he's been forced to do something unnatural that he doesn't want to do to sort of waste this, this guy's time. And it's the way that he's almost been turned against his own through the plight he's in. And what the film did there is ideal. And it, and it, and it does strike a chord. But for me, that scene is one scene. And that's my sort of main issue. I just think you, they, they sh- there could and should have been so much more. I think it sort of it shows that him being backed into this corner where they basically just try and... Sort of pummel you into submission really you know they they, they stick as many uh, obstacles and hurdles in the way so that eventually you'll tire out and you'll say you know what, I can't do this anymore and I'm not going to try and go through this system and, and I'm not going to play the game that they're wanting me to play and, and that is you know as a government and as you know a society we shouldn't be allowing that to happen to citizens that are you know just the same as uh, the same as we are mm. and I think for me this film as I've already said really opened my eyes to it I mean there's this Again, this is really on the nose, but it's still, I, I lapped it up. You know, this this bit where he says, you know, give me some land and I'll build you a house, but I can't yeah. use a computer. I, yeah. I can't. And the guy keeps going, no, you'll find that online, you'll find that online. And you think, this guy clearly is not listening because this this, this individual he is clearly... He can do so much more than use a computer. Yeah, he, but. he's pretty much illiterate. <laughs> he, he can't use it. He's not computer savvy, tech savvy, really, whatsoever. Yeah. What can this member of society do? Well, what can you do in this society where everything is so much to do with online? Mm. He's almost like this dying breed. He's a dinosaur, essentially, of society. And and he's fallen in the gaps. It's almost like he just can't get out then. So I like this yeah. film. I like Ken Loach. I just don't love it. And it does feel like an extended panorama episode. And for that reason, I'll give it three stars.
I agree with you. I do think it, feel, it does feel like one long reenactment, which I think is exactly what Ken Loach wanted from the film. And this, the discussion we've just had for the last 20-odd 20, 20 minutes, 15 after editing, is exactly what Ken wants from yes. the people watching the film. Absolutely. He wants us to be upset. He wants us to be discussing what's going on in the world and if it's right or wrong. But I hardly agree. As, as a film, it's, it's three stars. However, I would say of all the films I've watched this year, if I was to recommend one, yeah. it would be this one. That's interesting. I think I think this is its message is so good, and it was so eye opening. Outweighs the exactly. Yeah, and I think for me, every, all the reasons you described there is why I would give it five stars. I can totally respect, and I can totally understand your opinion when a film has actually done more than what a normal film does. It's transcended film. It, film. It's, the message I think the, the film as I say it sort of transcends film because it sends a message that I think people should go and see regardless if you hate films you should still go and go and see this film not as a piece of propaganda but as an even if it's just an awareness piece so yeah that's why i would give it the uh the old full five stars very nice and now on to 16 years in the past not much has changed but they don't live underwater we have got <laughs> 2000 Great reference bro dancer in the dark da, 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 da. Da, 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 da. 2000, Lars von Trier, one of the infant terrible, head and chief provocateur, brings us, now this is contentious because it's still within the Dogme 95 bracket and it follows a lot of the rules, but it disregards a lot of them. We follow uh, Czech immigrant Selma, who's in America and is basically starting, she works in a factory and is starting to discover she's going blind. And as with all Lars von Trier films, certainly all of his early films, advantage is taken and this this woman just has a very has a very tough time. And there are some there are some musical interludes that make this quite a unique <laughs> proposition. But yeah, I don't really think I could would want to spoil any more. Uh, well yeah, I can't say I enjoyed it. I, I think I went you know, we, we, we uh, rate films one to five and I think I went back and forth up and down this up and down that Very spectrum much. of ratings with this film because there's some great moments there's some damn right terrible moments and then there's some moments you know in between there so, unclassifiable yeah exactly yeah so I think I'm still not 100% sure how I feel about this <laughs> film I think as I say there were some good bits there were some bad bits I think it certainly went down a route I wasn't expecting um, I, I didn't realise and I, it, it's pretty early on so we can probably reveal it but I won't you know, there is a very there's a, there's a moment, probably the most pivotal mo- well, pivotal is a perfect word, really moment in this film where it goes down a route where the main character is all of a sudden going down a different path, shall we say? Which I didn't realise. I hadn't. I knew nothing about this film, so I hadn't looked up a synopsis or anything. So I can't say I was expecting that. And I think at first I was a little bit uneasy about that because it I means it's quite a raw scene in general. Oh, very much so. Yeah. Um, very real. Yeah, and and I suppose that. Yeah, so I suppose I wasn't quite sure how um, how I took that in, but brutally honest, I didn't like the musical numbers. The end justified the means, but I really didn't see the use of them until right at the end, where all of a sudden, the use of a musical number and the use of escapism, I suppose, more importantly, regardless of whether it was musical or whatever it was, became really poignant and really relevant and really worked. But for me, they overplayed it for the first two hours of this film. For me, it didn't really add much to it. But, but it did come in the end to actually work quite nicely. But it's almost light relief throughout as well. It is, and that, but that's exactly what Lars is trying to portray. In Have we mentioned it's Bjork uh, who plays the lead character? Who did win um, as well Best Actress yeah, at that camp Beyond as well. Me. 
how um, you on that. But she's obviously using the she she sings to herself and creates these images in her head of silly things that are going on and these musical numbers just to get her through a day. And just like you said, escapism. And that is her character, though, isn't it? That she, is exactly she's it, yeah. impish, ethereal, <clears throat> ethereal, just kind of. She is in her own head, and that is part of her allure and part of that part of her character that makes her performance mm. so outstanding. And, and for someone going through that that change, she is. She, I wouldn't say she's optimistic, but she's she's very much always looking at the bright side. She of set life. a goal, and she's found a way, something to hold on to, something that she believes in that is right, that is doing right by her son. And she uses that as the guide for all of her then moral actions as she goes on. But did did you buy into that? Did you did you become invested in her journey? Yes, I I became invested in the journey, but but not via Bjork's performance. I didn't really like it at all. I mean, the, her character I thought was really annoying, then really cute, then really frustrating, then really honourable and respectable. And I was like, as I said before, I was going all the way, one, two, five, six, well, not six, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely there was no wow. six. Yeah, just going up and down the spectrum, really couldn't, so you'll probably guess what my, my rating's going to be, but I think it, I, I really just never felt like I was in tune with this film. I felt like I I could never absolutely get on that train and just sit on the train and, and go with it. I just felt like I was always I, uncomfortable. I wholeheartedly agree. I, again, the score went up and down in, in my own head. How out of interest, have you seen a lot of Lars's work around that time? Around that time, I haven't seen any of Lars von Trier film ever. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's a heavy... So again, it's, that's it's a heavy, I mean, they're all quite heavy, but this is a particularly... This is not what I would say is a place to start with him. Okay. Because I think this is the end of his... Is it Golden Hearts trilogy? But it's, but it's a trilogy based on his own depression. This, Idiots and Breaking the Waves, are all about him coming to terms with his own depression and how, no matter how hard you try, no matter how you might have some light and you might be a really good person, thing, and it's always women. They are these really, look at them there. And then, yeah, the world gr- and evil yeah. grinds them down to a pulp until there's literally nothing left. Um, Me- melancholia, for those wondering, though, where to start with Lars. Yeah. That, I'd say that's the yeah. one to start with. <laughs> it's difficult but I do think there is real pathos there is real real pain in this and just to sort of conclude what we were saying about the songs I think this is this was almost felt like a warm up to me maybe it's because I'd seen Dogville before the style the the theatre kind of the sort of cabaret sort of style this was his warm up for Dogville Dogville literally is on a theatre stage and it brings a lot of the same elements uh, from this, but into a way more consistent tone, refined, and I think you feel the darker, harrowing moments in Dogville hit home way, way more than in this. How, having seen Dogville, similar? Do you think? Yeah, I or... mean, there, you get that that horrible sinking feeling. I was thinking <laughs> something's going to go wrong. That, yeah, but also <laughs> at the end when you you turn off your telly and then you're just left with with this pain in the pit of your stomach which you get from Grave of the Fireflies and Requiem for, for, a, dream. for a Dream Yeah, and <laughs> you just you don't know what to do with yourself apart <laughs> from just feel so down it, I think it, this film does that really well and I think that's what Lars is trying to get us to do Definitely. and I completely was sold by, by Bjork's performance by mm. the journey she went on and how it was portrayed I, I feel like similar to Dogville the shocking moments although very very few and far between were balanced out quite quite well with the slower paced parts and it, yeah, it comes to a, 
a great crescendo at the end. It just is such a contrast the whole way through because you've got I just it's only really I've only seen it very very recently and it's sort of sinking in. You've got these these scenes that are just ludicrous, like on on the train track. Like there's mm. some of it is so it's downright silly, and then but then you it come it brings you through this dogmy, the handheld, grainy, naturalistic style. You do sort of think I do feel like she's being sort of like the advantage is being taken of her by the director. He's just sort of setting her up, and that similar to Daniel Blake did almost feel emotionally manipulative a lot of but people then, but then said, unlike Daniel Blake we have a sing song here and it's like <laughs> everything she's no she's happy she's she's got she's moving on and then it just keeps tossing and turning and I mean a lot of people said at the time it felt very contrived much like you yeah. talk about room just forced you're, you're trying to get emotions out of the audience absolutely and just like room I, I completely fell for it and thoroughly thoroughly enjoyed it I mean, as much as you can. But like her performance, for example, it reminds me of that whole um, the 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 Coen Brothers film, Inside Louis Ellen Davis. I remember hearing the um, interview with the Coen Brothers saying, you know, they they really wanted an actor who could sing rather than a singer who can act. And I found here Bjork is a singer who is doing a bit of acting. Mm-hmm. And for me, I, I mean, for me, Oscar Isaac's on a different level. He's a, he's both an actor and a singer. He's amazing at both kind of thing. But that's what it felt like for me that she was only arguably good in this because of the tools that she had around her including like a decent dialogue decent script decent story whereas I don't, for me I didn't really buy her at all but did you not find that I think that was part of her allure for me the fact yeah. that she was so okay. she trusted everyone and she was and the fact that even in the fi- sort of final scenes there are people who shouldn't feel particularly inclined to be nice to her and yet everyone around her for the most part, pretty much falls for her, don't they? they falls they, for her. They chance. certainly humour her, and I think to be fair as well, I don't know if you. Got, she pretty much definitely has some form of special needs as well. I mean, I think they make yeah, that she's quite not very clear, savvy. don't they? No, and I, and that's what makes that is another like, Lars. Uh, yeah, okay. That is quite a feature as well, to be fair. And I don't know how, what whether that is part of this exploitative view that I think that he does create in a lot of his films that you do always feel like they're just being little lambs to the slaughter and mm. let's just push them out into the this cruel and he, he does love to just create the world as being this evil place that no one should ever venture out into I think I like the the idea of the more I think about this film the, the more I like the idea over the actual execution itself because mm. this idea you know the escapism that, that that theme that's running throughout it I really like sort of the meta approach that he's he's done to that and how nuanced that is throughout the film but for me the parts of it didn't didn't really work it does feel quite long uh, i mean it is too hours. it's don't, too long no it is too long it is too, it's long. two hours yeah, yeah. um it it does feel slightly self-indulgent i guess it does feel quite passion projecty but i still really 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 think it's a great piece of cinema and don't necessarily encourage everyone to watch it but <laughs> I, I do think I, I do think it's, uh, four stars for me four four for four I'm for expecting it. lower from the two of you this is not Lars von Trier's best work by oh, okay. quite a stretch no uh, you haven't seen it as others mate this is not the heights of <laughs> Dogville this hasn't convinced me to see this isn't as this isn't as spontaneous and ludicrous as, as The Idiots and this isn't as, as just entertaining as Nymphomaniac or Antichrist I do feel, yeah, he does improve upon a lot of the ideas and the things that he does try here in Dogville. So I would give this a three. And I would echo that three. It took me a while to calculate this, but I had to try and find the median between 
well, the, the middle, sorry, between one and five, as I said, I was going up and down, one to five, one to five. So I was thinking, well, I'll set up for somewhere in the middle. And it turns out it's a three. Wow. So there you go. That's really useful yeah. to know for future reference. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> if yeah. I'm ever feeling How have we way. only, how have we got to episode 18 and never, mm. never had to do that? But Here we are. Which leads us on to James's pick. Which was the uh, 19, the Robert Altman 1970 Palm Door winner, MASH, which stands for the Mobile Army Surgical Hospital. Ooh. Um, which was, well, set um, through the Korean War, so I think set in the, the early 50s, but very much a, a commentary of the Vietnam War. Very much the subtext of this is, is about the, the Vietnam War, which was ongoing at the time uh, that the film was the film was made. Lost to Patton uh, at the Oscars, pretty much nominated for all the sort of in the big categories, but lost out to, to Patton. And that basically tells the story of of two sort of replacement surgeons who come into the, the MASH unit and they do some very good work whilst also wreaking havoc amongst the ranks. Having a laugh. Yeah. So. Live fast, die old. I mean, this is, this is. I think this is the start of Altman's reign as pretty much the best through the 70s there were a lot of obviously very very good very acclaimed American directors but one who was just did things totally sort of off piste and very very quirky and I, I think this is far from being his best work but I think this perfectly sums up what Altman does it's completely wacky it's just this very you've got a lot of characters he's very well known for um, his film Shortcuts and Nashville that these huge ensembles and again we've got quite a lot of characters here who all share uh, the screen time and it's just it's just this lucid editing that sort of tries to bring all of these it's like they sit down and they write all of these quirky sort of fun playful characters and then think right how can we actually form a story with all of them we can't let's just let the camera follow them around this setting and just see what these what these guys get up to it's a comedy were you guys laughing it is and it isn't, I find. Well, no, it it's a, is. It's a, it's a, it's a satirical black comedy. Yeah, black comedy it, it's, yeah. yeah because it, it's got that... Um, it, it does blend sort of the humour and the emotion, which which a lot of good films try and sort of that, that tightrope that they try to... Um, that they try to walk. And I think that, that's sort of epitomised, I suppose, by the two main surgeons, you know, the two leads who... They're sort of womanising and completely insubordinate and mischievous, but at the same time, they are absolutely brilliant surgeons. And... <laughs> They are fantastic in, in in what is a horrible environment to, to be in. And for me, I, I loved seeing Elliot Gould and Donald Sutherland young because I've only <laughs> ever seen them. I've, sort of, I've grown up with them in very sort of elder statement type roles. You've got Elliot Gould in, well, the Oceans film, but then also like Friends and things like that. And then you've got Donald Sutherland in like The Hunger Games and and the Italian, the Italian Job remake where you only really see them in a completely different way. A little bit like if you were grown up, if, if you... Were born know, over, the, in the uh, last sort of fifteen years or something. Jeff, Jeff Bridges, but but also if you think about like De Niro. So if you were born in the last yeah. fifteen oh, years, man, you only see horrible. De Niro in <laughs> what a sad, you know, sad exactly. World. Yeah, so I, I th- it was fascinating to see them young. You know, the young whippersnappers that they once were, and it's they are. They have got looks and charisma to burn. Yeah, absolutely. As we were saying about Jeff Bridges last yeah, week. Yeah, I mean, not as much as Jeff. Bridges. I mean, they're, okay, they've got their charms for sure. <laughs> but yeah, that 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 sort of bromance, that relationship that. At first, it doesn't seem like the film's anything to do with that. And then obviously, as it goes on, these two do sort of emerge gradually as yeah. the central pair. And then you're like, I like all the supporting cast, but I'm so glad that we're following these two and these two going off and doing pretty much what they want. Yeah, it reminded, it reminded me of Everybody Wants Some in the way that big group of people and 
the reason they're there came second to the mm. film. It brought them, it's, yeah, it's the justification of them all being in the same proximity. Yeah. But it was all about the camaraderie, all about the relationships between the people, rather than the the surgical work. I mean, you see it. You, mm. Everybody wants them. You kind of know the there is a college campus there, and they yeah. are there to learn. But you don't really spend too much time looking into that. I think that's a really good comparison, though, because when I think about everybody wants some, you think everybody wants some. They talk about baseball. They talk about baseball the whole time, and then you have about a two to five minute scene involving baseball and it's fantastic and you realise these guys are decent yeah it's it sort of work hard play hard and I get the same with this film as well where you know they are the tonal shift yeah and then you suddenly see them and yeah they're making a couple of jokes like you know it you know scratch me on the nose kind of thing and little jokes in the theatre but actually you see them working and you see them doing what we would all agree with a completely admirable they care about the lives. Yeah, definitely. which is a horrible situation to be in, yet they, they're fantastic at it. And maybe it's a self-defence mechanism, and I think I'm reading too much into it, but I imagine if I think about the real-life surgeons, it probably is a bit of a mechanism for them that they have to... I mean, there's that famous quip about surgeons that they have to completely emotionally detach from the body that they're working on, mm-hmm. otherwise they're not going to be able to do the job that they're able to do. So perhaps it's this is maybe taking it far too far too down, down that, that line where... Um, why? Has he been reading your notes again? Typical Altman here. Perfectly blends black comedy and satire in a way that can also work, seemingly, as a coping mechanism for the characters. Oh, so, there you go. There it is. Good point there, James. Good Lost point. his own notes. Reading yeah. Ian's. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. it's fine. And I think that's summed up perfectly. There's a really like minor part where they are conducting surgery. They're in session. They're in... Yeah. Uh, and <laughs> and uh, someone bursts into the room like an officer to try and stop them to try and stop them and they're like step out you could be bringing in germs you know we're in the middle of surgery here when mate. it suits them yeah exactly it's all very by the book and then there's a one, one scene which I think is it's either just after that moment or it's a different scene where yeah again someone bursts in or someone's having a look around and they say right can you hold this clamp here or can you pass me this yeah. clamp and it's like this is all hands to the deck here guys I mean this is life and death in the middle of a horrible sort of swampy what was supposed to be sort of a Korean warfare and you think, you know what, well, actually, you, regardless of who you are, we're all in this together. I think there are, and this isn't necessarily a criticism because you've got to think about the time that it's set and, and you've got to think about in the Vietnam War when there's a horrible amount of, from a media perspective, you know, again, the loyal historian that I am, I've studied the Vietnam War, uh, <laughs> I will add. At GCSE badge. level. <laughs> A-level, mate, come on. A2, if you're wondering. And... There's a, there's a time where the media is incredibly against the Vietnam War. They're, the Americans are not winning hearts and minds whatsoever. It, this film was probably quite important to portray a far lighter edge to what is a pretty horrific war and, and what turned out to be a pretty disastrous set of circumstances for the Americans who pretty much lost what should have been a very simple sort of war to win. But also it very much is a product of its time as well. I mean, there are some incredibly laddie, you know, misogynistic jokes and pranks that they that they play, which are hilarious. But you can understand why if I was a woman in, in modern world watching this for the first time, I would be very surprised that they can get away doing so some dated. of the stuff that they do. Comedy yeah. does seem to date, doesn't it? Yeah. I think if you compare it to, not, I mean, even that's quite a few years on, but stuff like Animal House, like the college uh, film, there's been bit of a resurgence in sort of frat films recently and now it's all coming up going oh that's the best film ever about college and it's you look at it and it's all so very much like this misogynistic and it's all about groups of guys just get doing their own thing and it, to be fair though everybody wants them again it's still things haven't moved on so much but there are yeah a certain I, I, number of jokes here that would just not yeah. 
be permitted in a mainstream American comedy. These I feel days. like they, they handle it better in Everybody Wants Some. But like yeah. you say, times have changed. But um, I think this film, it, it, it is a comedy and it certainly tries to be. But I think it, it probably does go a bit too far in the American football scene at the end. Not too far, but when I think about the TV series of MASH and when I think about... So you've seen it? Uh, you've seen yes, it the first season. first season. Right, OK. Um, and Good Morning Vietnam, yeah. where, again, it's trying to balance it between both humour and, and seriousness. I think this film scales up the comedy and dials down the emotion towards the end. And I talk about all the misogyny, but there's some fantastic moments as uh, Houlihan as a, as a cheerleader. Some of her reactions to some of the plays and some of the things that happens during the American football game are hilarious, even though it's incredibly sort of sexist and stereotypical. The way that she has gone within the space of five minutes. Oh, by the way, we're playing American football now. Oh, and she's been shunned and rebuffed so much that and ignored that oh fine I might as well just support them then yeah. I, it's like a Stockholm Syndrome almost it's like something out of a sketch show the whole American uh, the whole American football skit is very much as it if feels like that like John Landis you could the, have Benny Hill in the background <laughs> like the have you seen the Kentucky Fried movie which is mm. what they made the people that made Animal House before only a few years after this where it's just all of these like the same sort of comedy as this the 70s American loads of silliness chucked together and then just after about 40 minutes there's a 30-minute sort of Enter the Dragon comedic remake. <laughs> and it just goes off on that and that juncture and then comes back again. And here we've got it with a quite amusing American football game. And then also when they go to, is it China? No, it's to Japan. To Japan, yeah, yeah. And then the they golf. go, just, we're going to go play golf. It's like, that was, it felt, it uh, the word lucid. I mean, it's fun. <laughs> it's, again, it's just so fun because Altman's just sort of, I'd like to think that he's got this film started, he's got his set up. He's got all these characters, and then he's just gone. Actually, though, that would be let's just veer off. We can mm. always come back to this. This is great, but it's the way that and yeah, the American football scene at the end. It's so preposterous and it's so unexpected and it's so ludicrous. It just it just keeps the whole thing fresh. No, it's perfect. So I would say this is not a laugh a minute for a comedy, but when I did laugh, I was in absolute hysterics mm. just due to the disinterest and the sheer audacity of the disposition of the characters that just drives it and keeps it random it keeps it fresh and even watching it now it still offers plenty of laughs and yeah as we've said good blend of satirical black comedy four stars found it funny but not hilarious I didn't laugh out loud once it was more of you know the kind of even the canon line great line I found myself from the start trying to compare it to other films where I was is this Naked Gun is this Hot Shots is it Blazing Saddles (laughs) Is it? Uh, it's, but is it, it predates it, it does. It does, and it was probably the reason that all those brilliant comedies were made. Ooh, but this one isn't. But brilliant. I just didn't find it funny at all. <laughs> but I think they go the whole way. They sort of go full measure, whereas I think this. Yeah, and doesn't quite. Didn't, and maybe didn't that's why it's it trying to balance yeah. a lot more than Naked Gun, which had. I think is harder to do because I think when once you know, you go right. We're, we're doing it. We're going for it. We'll we'll do all the jokes and everyone knows it's going to be a joke, which is a little bit like what they did with this American football scene. Because at that point, I thought they have just completely let it go and they said, right, this is going to be an out and out comedy now. Whereas Phenomenal. throughout, yeah, throughout the film, the first hour and a half, they are it is a comedy and it's you know satirical black comedy, but they are trying to balance it with emotion. Whereas those films, they don't even attempt that. Yeah, I didn't feel Not like that necessarily was, give it credit feel, for that. I didn't feel there's any emotion in it. Though. Really? Yeah, I didn't. I didn't okay. Didn't feel attached to any of the characters. It was just these Monty Python-esque, like sketch show sure. scenes, just tied together with some sort of loose arc. 
and then yeah with a tacked on American football scene at the end it's funny because that was directed by so the, the Spear Chucker Jones or whatever his name is which is incredibly racist um, the, the main um, the former San Francisco 49ers player who, yeah, who yeah. plays he, he directed Fred Williamson he's a former American football player he directed that whole American football scene so it is so in a way it is almost so its own bizarre. short film but that's, that's on it the end. that's what he that's, but that's the key to it it is bizarre I th- I, yeah, but why is but bizarre is not funny? The bizarre bizarre, is, bizarre funny. is funny. Bizarre, mm, bizarre and can be funny. And, it's, and odd. It, it's different. It's not uh, what we're used to. It's funny. It's amusing. Didn't sit well with me. <laughs> I'm not going to go for a Robbie Scott classic, but I'm going to go two stars because there is there is something deeper there. It just didn't. I wasn't on board with it. I can understand if that. If it didn't hit you, hit you for the laughs yeah. or for the emotive. It was, it was yeah. a tedious I, two hours. You were strict. You were str- see that? I, I, I don't. I, I can easy. understand the two stars. I'm struggling to understand a tedious two hours. So I think even if you didn't like it and you didn't necessarily laugh out loud, I still feel you can appreciate. Yeah, the that there are some jokes smiling moments. And the, and the, like yes. Yeah, but but it knows it's being racist. It's not. It's yeah. not. It's a, again. It's, it's fine, a product man. of its that's time. Fine. No, because well, it, you forget this. it's the 70s. You forget the like all a lot of a lot of films from a lot of filmmakers were. You think Taxi Driver and things like everything was, and it was almost making a comment. I don't think it was being racist because it was laughing at yeah. that. It was, it was, it was just raising that as an issue. It was almost because the people that were racist just seemed, it just seemed, de- it seemed dumb. They were laughing at racism yeah. rather than with it. Yeah, but uh, but that's fine. I mean, that's not a reason then to change the score. But if you want to reconsider. And I think it does sort of tap into... <laughs> sorry, Robbie, I hadn't finished. He was reconsidering. <laughs> sorry, sorry, Robbie's sitting. He's about to reconsider. It does tap into that, which I think we've come... Well, we, we typically come up with this, or I certainly do anyway. Whenever we talk about the classic, every single... You know, all, all 18 weeks we've done this. When I think about the films that we've see, that we've we've reviewed in terms of some of the classics, you think, you know, we're not in society at that time. We can't necessarily judge it as purely as we can the new release and to an extent as well the post because we've that's been in our lifetime so you see a comedy which again comedy is so different now and it's always moving uh, and even if it's not a comedy I think with the cla- with the classics we do find that we're missing something like as in everyone's in on this joke even if it's not a comedy everyone's in on this joke and we're not quite there and we don't quite understand it and I sometimes find that with some of the classics where I just think this isn't for me having said that I did really like it and I would give it a comfortable four stars I don't think it's good enough to be to be five, but it's and it is a, a solid and a, four. And as well, to put into director perspective, it's it is a good bit away from his what he can do. His usual standard. Like he then does warm up, and by the end of the seventies, we're talking hit every couple of years. But so the new release uh, was chosen by me, and I've gone for the Neville Nerves new film Arrival, and that theme is going to be cracking a code. Cool cracking. So, post 2000? Is myself. I'm going to go with Zodiac. Yes. <laughs> All right, mate. Which leads me on to the pre 2000, which I've been told features a hacker and he does some serious coding, is the manga film Ghost in the Shell from uh, 95, I believe. Sweet. Yeah, Being remade, you tell me earlier. About to be remade next year, starring Scarlett Johansson, to much controversy. Scarlett Joe. So, Scarlett Joe. That's all from us. Remake.